Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Okay, let's pray. God, we are reminded of how limited our understanding is. And so we look to you, the maker and creator of all things, for understanding and for wisdom and counsel. And we thank you for your word that guides us. We are grateful for life and the gifts and blessings that we get to enjoy. Teach us to number our days, God, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We are reminded here in this text that the days of are evil and that there will be many dark days ahead. And as we enter Holy Week, we are remind, we reminded that your son was no stranger to sorrow and suffering and darkness. And yet because he died and conquered death, though we die, we live. So may your joy be present fully in us, and may it be our strength. Strengthen your church with your joy. Fill us with your peace. Give us faith to believe so that we may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you for the faithfulness of the pastors and teachers here, that they guide us in your truth. May Pastor Greg this morning be filled with your spirit as he teaches according to your word. And may your spirit continue the work in us to sanctify us according to your word. We are grateful together in your presence this morning. Amen. Thank you, Brandy. Thank you, worship team. It's good to be with you guys, and we are, uh, can you be excited about Holy Week? I mean, uh, yes, you can. Um, today is Palm Sunday, and it is the, uh, the celebration of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. So we're going to be talking about this a little bit more uh, as we go on today. But, but this passage in Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 10, is all about this one concept. Extravagantly rejoice in what God has given this is the theme of the text that we are going to explore together. Extravagantly rejoice in what God has given. And so we're going to see in three elements of life, um, in three elements of our world, how we are to extravagantly rejoice. Not just rejoice, you know, thanks mumbo jumbo, but extravagantly rejoice. Has this been a theme in Ecclesiastes? Yeah. 
We have heard over and over and over again what it looks like for man to rejoice in his toil, rejoice in his work, rejoice in what God has given. And so we're going to continue this theme, and then after uh, Easter Sunday this next week, we're going to wrap up all of Ecclesiastes with chapter 12 and talk about the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom. But for today, extravagantly rejoice in what God has given. I want to give you an example of how I failed to do this. And start with a place of humility of my failure, okay? <clears throat> Paint a picture of a beautiful winter morning that uh, uh, was snowing in California. Yes, it snows there. And uh, snowing in the mountains of California. And uh, it's, it's um, Christmas morning. Uh, our house doesn't have a uh, central heating and air, and so we're stoking the wood-burning stove as you know fl- flutters are coming down outside. And um, it's Christmas morning, and uh, I'm 16 years old. I wake up, and there's you know one or two presents under the tree. I didn't notice, but um, one or two under the tree. And so uh, you know we we open up gifts, and then um, afterwards, uh, my my parents say, uh, "Well, we have another gift for you." And I say, okay. Um, and uh, they say, look outside. And uh, on our deck uh, around our, our home is uh, a beautiful dirt bike. And I, uh, <clears throat> so I'm looking, I, I go to the window, I, I see the dirt bike. And I turn around and say, thanks. <laughs> okay, 16 years old, okay. I'm in the prime of my prideful youth, and uh, I can say that with all humility at this point. Um, I have discussed this with, uh, well, uh, discussed it with my parents, but um, that was an example of, uh, was I thankful? Yeah, sure, I was thankful, but it wasn't a, like extravagant rejoicing. I didn't get to express to them the gratitude or the gravity or the beauty or the joy that they weren't necessarily requiring, they weren't looking for, they weren't, uh, it wasn't necessitated upon the gift, right? The gift was given, and yet my response was pretty follow, you know, pretty failure. Uh, And so that's not the rejoicing that we're talking about today, okay? We're talking about extravagant rejoicing, and Justin is a lot better at this than I am, just FYI. So I'm still learning how to extravagantly rejoice, okay? But we're going to look at three things of where, uh, what areas of life we are to extravagantly rejoice in. We're to extravagantly rejoice in God's provision for us, We're to extravagantly rejoice in what God has given in our work and what God has given in just living life, okay? So we're going to see these three areas as we walk through the text. We're going to take each one and we're going to explore a little bit how we rejoice, what's the challenge of rejoicing, how does Jesus fulfill rejoicing, and how do we live in God's world, extravagantly rejoicing in all that he has given. Sound good? Okay. First, provision. Verses 1 and 2 of Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. For you know not what disaster may happen upon the earth. First task 
or first opportunity that uh, Solomon here gives us in rejoicing is in provision, is in the bread that we eat. Okay, that we are going to be provided bread by the Lord. Notice that this is rejoicing in what God has given. God has given us provision to sustain us, to enjoy, to share. And we even see this rejoicing that he's commanding in uh, the, the, the people of Israel here in verse 2. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. What, what, what is that kind of stirring you? That it's, it's like, oh, is it just our family and we're just like kind of holding it? No, this is like rejoicing of like, hey, be generous. And when we have a lot of provision, are we more inclined to be generous? Yeah, we're more inclined when we feel like we have an abundance. And so there's this reality that of, of, of feasting, of, 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 of eating your bread, of enjoying what God has given, and even giving to others in your abundance. And so there's this, you know, um, the, 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 the minuscule or the small rejoicing is, man, I'm just I'm, I'm thankful, for, thankful for bread. Just, just the acknowledgement, thanks God for giving me bread today. We all can participate in that. In some ways, that's part of our, all of our lives in growing in thankfulness to the Lord. But, but that's not extravagant rejoicing. And so we see in this, in verse 2, this, this linchpin, this challenge, this uh, um, struggle that Solomon brings to us. And here it is, the end of verse 2. For you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Solomon is essentially saying, hey, be generous because you don't know what disaster is going to happen. Just gonna let that sink in a little bit. Be generous because you don't know what disaster will happen. Personally, if I even consider that disaster will happen, that does not make me generous. You may be holier than me, but, but that's my temptation. That, that, that the reality of him even saying that you don't know what disaster is going to happen causes me to hoard, causes me to hold, causes me to grab. It doesn't cause me to be generous. And yet he's saying, cast it, give it, because you don't know what's going to happen. The very fact that you don't know what's going to happen, that disaster may come, should be cause you to be more generous. Man, that's a challenge. Challenge in my life was when uh, my son, Judah, was uh, about to be born. I had just started a new job um, at a financial advisory firm, and uh, I was trying to uh, figure out how to be the best dad that I could be in the, the simple ways that I could as we prepared a room, as we prepared um, you know, our family, as we prepared for him. And um, in the months leading up and in the months following, I was really, really tempted to spend about $3,000 on a whole bunch of prepper gear, Okay. I don't know if any of you guys have been tempted to do that, um, but that's pretty awesome stuff. Um, it, I mean, like, everything from, like, go bags 
to uh, medical equipment, to you know, rain collectors, to MREs, they're so yummy, to I, all these realities of like, man, I got to prepare my family because if the, if the stuff hits the fan, we're going to be ready, okay? I'm like full dad mode, right? And so that, that came to me from this place of like, if disaster is even on the horizon, I'm ready to fight. I am, I'm not being generous. I'm not rejoicing in what God has given. I'm like, how do I get more? How do I, how do I get more? How, do, how, do, how is God going to sustain us? And this is, this is where um, the Lord convicted me in that moment. Of I was, I was literally, I had a whole, I had three different sites that I was working on. I, I can like, I'm in my office, okay? Uh, I promise I worked during that time too. But I'm in my office and I'm like clicking all this and I'm like, I have my carts ready to go. And the Lord just, man, he convicts me hard. And it's like, hey, Greg, there are people who are in the midst of not having, and I sustain them. Ah, but Lord, I, but I want to be a good dad. I want to prepare. No. Are you going to trust me that I'm going to sustain you? Fine. Okay, fine. So that was my moment. That was just a, a tangible example of how we, we have this. We can be thankful. We can rejoice. Thank you, Lord, for the things that you've given us. But, but when, when disaster comes, or even the thought of like, man, something bad's going to happen, we tend to hoard. And yet Jesus says, we, he doesn't, we, don't, we don't see this in the, in the Gospels, but in Acts 20, as Paul is, is, um, is leaving the Ephesian elders, as he is um, on his travels, he spent... Years and years in Ephesus, equipping and, and, and ministering to them. He says in verse 35, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we must help the weak. And remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. That Jesus walked through the temptation, church. He walked through the temptation, Christian, of our feeling of lack. Our feeling of we're not going to have enough. And he did it in the desert with the devil to his face, saying that God's not going to provide for you. You're not going to be sustained. And yet he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus trusted. He did this perfectly, trusting the Father. And in that, he got to be generous. He got to rejoice says this in Luke 12. Jesus gives this parable and this example, and this is our application of this. And, and, and in some ways, I feel like this is where Hebrews 4 says, like, man, Scripture cuts to the heart. As I was prepping for this, I was like, man, this is so good. In Luke 12, Jesus tells this, this story of a rich man. He says this in verse 15. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Number one, I can just stop there. Like, that's such a uh, challenge to our culture. It's a challenge for me. He says, be on guard against covetousness. That means don't just be aware of it. Actively fight. For life does not consist of the abundance of possessions. 
Keep going. And, and he told the parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I, know, for I have nowhere to store my crops. Oh, man, I have an abundance of crops. Where should I store them? I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you may be ample, or you have ample goods laid up for you for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Solomon is, is being a, a foreshadowing of this fulfillment of Jesus who, who perfectly walks in trust and provision and rejoicing and gratitude and thankfulness and blessing God because of the provision that he gives. And Jesus tells us this, this story to declare, hey, you don't have to prepare for everything. What I give you, you get to rejoice in and be generous with. Our culture, church, my temptation, friends, is that I want to have everything figured out. I want to be self-sufficient to the point where my 401k and my 503b and my you know, IRA 57, I don't know, like all these things that I'm like, I'm self-sufficient. I don't have to depend on anyone. And if I have to depend on anyone, then I'm weak. And so therefore, those who depend on other people and who are in need, we see as weak. How differently does Jesus see those who are in need? He sees them and he says they are blessed by the Father with faith. Mm. We don't have to be self-sufficient, church. We can rejoice in God's provision. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, Give us this day our daily bread. As he taught his disciples to pray, not give us our bread for tomorrow, not give us our bread for 10 years from now, not give us our bread for our children's children, give us our bread today. So we can rejoice extravagantly. We can, we can bless God and, and be thankful that he has given us bread for today. Now, the Lord has given it. We rejoice extravagantly because of what God has given. Not what he will give, not what he could give, but what he has given. He has given you enough for today. Rejoice extravagantly today. Next topic is provision. Provision, verses three and following. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with a child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or both, or whether both alike will be good. Jesus is, or Jesus, yeah, I mean, through the Spirit into Solomon, we can say that. Um, the Spirit through Solomon is painting this picture of work, okay? This picture of work that, that we get to rejoice extravagantly in the work that God has given. There are two responses that, that Solomon presents here, 
And here's the challenge. The challenge is that we don't know what's going to come about of our work. Okay, we don't know how our work is going to be fulfilled, if it will produce anything. And he starts in verse 5 by saying, I'm sorry, verse, um, let's see, verse 4. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. This is like a pessimist mentality, okay? This is someone who's paralyzed by fear. This is someone who has fear that it's like, hmm, I'm going to try to figure out the clouds and the wind and the going on here. Okay, so now, right now is the perfect time to plant. Right now is the perfect time to, 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 to work. And he's saying, hey, if you're looking for the perfect circumstances, it ain't coming. You're going to be paralyzed by fear. You're going to be trying to figure it all out, and you're not going to figure it out. So you're not going to sow, and if you don't sow, you're not going to Thank you. Good job. And so that's one response. One response is, I'm paralyzed by fear. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to rejoice in what God has given. Maybe God's given me this opportunity. Thanks, God, that I have all these, like, seeds, but I'm just going to hold on to them because I don't really know what's going to happen. That's my temptation. My temptation is to try to figure things out and to wait for the perfect circumstance. And therefore, I'm paralyzed. The other opportunity is, he says in verse 6, In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. This is the person who has three different things that they're sowing into. He says, in the morning sow your seed, and at evening keep going. They're working diligently. They're working hard. They're, they're always, always casting but they don't know whether it's gonna, what's going to be successful or not. They don't know which one will prosper, and so they just give an abundance to multiple things. The, the task that God has given us to, to work, we can rejoice in. Comment here on rejoicing in work is work was not a result of the fall, church. Work was not a result of sin, Work was given before sin was given when God said all things are good. Work is a blessing that God has given to us to cultivate the earth, to display him to our neighbor, to honor him in our lives. Work is an opportunity, and yet we can be paralyzed by it, or we can indulge in it and not rejoice in what God has given the temptation for both of these people in paralyzation or uh, abundance and, and, and diligence is displayed in this idea of, I don't know what's going to prosper. If I said to you, your work will be unfruitful, so work diligently. Would you work diligently? Uh-uh. It's called communism. Uh, <laughs> I promise I'm not making political jokes here. Um, but it's, just, it's, it's, that tempt, it's that, not temptation, it's that reality for people that, man, we, if, if, we, if we know we're going to be unfruitful, we're not going to work. And yet, God in his wisdom and says, hey, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if it's going to prosper. Don't be paralyzed by it, but don't overindulge in it. Just work faithfully. Work rejoicingly. When, uh, when, let me give an example, not necessarily of work, but I'll, I'll say working in relationship. Um, Becca and I, when we were dating, 
um, the, the Lord had placed on my heart a lot of, a lot of scriptures around Job. Um, let me explain. Um, and, uh, and I mean, just in the sense of like the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Like, man, I'm thankful for this relationship, Lord. I honor you with it. But if you're going to take it away, that's okay. I'm going to trust you. Okay, that was my that was that was a lot of our a lot of my heartbeat in in our dating relationship and um, even into engagement as we uh, as we were were entering into that season. There was this sense of like, man, we're 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 we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the Lord has, but we're going to trust Him with it. So, with that heartbeat, um, at our wedding, we read this passage from James 14. Okay, now. I don't usually do this. I usually would read the passage first, but it's a little intense. So if you haven't noticed, I'm kind of an intense person and how the Lord convicts me, I'm like, dude, hell or high water, I'm trusting Jesus. And so I read this at our, my sister read this at our marriage and she was not happy. Um, but this is, this is the scripture from, from, our mar- from our wedding that displays, we don't know what's gonna happen but we trust Jesus and we can rejoice in him, okay? Verse 13, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Okay, great business sense. Hey, we're gonna go, we're gonna plan, we're gonna you know, make a profit, here we go. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Man. Are plans good? Yeah, plans are good. Are plans in pride and arrogance good? No. We plan, but we hold them openly before the Lord and say, Lord, if you will be done. If you will this to be done, then we will do this or that. We will live and do this or that. I don't want to boast in my arrogance. I don't want to say, oh, this is going to be successful, and this is going to be successful, and this is going to be successful. Anybody who tells you any venture is going to be successful is lying. (laughs) You don't know. You don't know. But does that cause us to be paralyzed and not do anything? No. No. That actually should cause us to rejoice to say that God is in control. And if he wants to make it successful, it's going to be successful. And it's going to be successful not because of me, but because of his blessing. We don't know how, what is going to be produced in our work. But we can rejoice in the work that God has given. I want you to, to rejoice in the work that God has given. This is perfectly displayed in the life of Jesus. That, that as he... As we enter into Holy Week, Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a donkey, right? He, on Palm Sunday, he's, all the children are rejoicing. They're laying out their robes and, um, and, and palm branches and all these things. And just think about this, church. I was thinking about this um, this week as I was thinking about working hard. I'm like, man, I'm working hard. And the harder Jesus worked in fulfillment of God's mission, the closer he got to his death. The harder Jesus worked, the closer he got to his death. Man, that was convicting for me because I'm like, if I work hard, I don't want to die. I want to like be the king of the world. And, and, and no, 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 Jesus knew. He trusted fully the will of the Father. 
And so we see in John 13, where we, on, the church celebrates historically Monday, Thursday, that, that we, we celebrate the foot washing of Jesus, that Jesus took the towel and he, he had been given all things and he took a towel and he, he washes Judas's feet, the man who would betray him. But, but Jesus had the mentality of like, I'm not working for success. I'm not working for these things. I'm working to be faithful to the Father. And so that's my question for you as we think about this, is are you able to rejoice in the work that God has given you because he is sovereign over that? Here's another scripture in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5.15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be a foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, giving thanks always and for to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to rejoice and be grateful for everything, making the best use of our time, not trying to figure out all the perfect plans and not being over-consumed with trying to make sure everything works. We get to trust and rejoice in the work that God has given. So we've seen rejoicing in provision, rejoicing in work, rejoicing in living life. Okay, last and final section here. Verse 7 and following. Solomon is going to point, paint a picture of two different people in two different stages of life. First one is verse 8. If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. Solomon is talking to the person who has lived many years. The aged. The one who can look back and see the years of his life. And he says, rejoice, rejoice, aged, rejoice in the years that God has given. You know how we know that God has been faithful to that person? They're still breathing. Does that mean that if they had died that God hadn't been faithful? No, that means that his, his faithfulness was expressed in a, in a new and unique way and, and he is, has embraced them into his kingdom. But, but he says, if you've lived long, rejoice in them. Man. Have you ever met an old crotchety person who's just like, I hate everything. I mean, there's a lot of changes in life, man. There's, there's like, I, I have a ton of compassion for people, especially in their later years, because it's, I mean, everything hurts, you know? It's like, there's so many things, but, but, but that reality of like, man, God has been faithful in your life. Rejoice in the life that God has given. Verse 9, he talks about the young person. Okay, that's more of the majority of our room. Rejoice, young person. Rejoice, oh young man. Verse 9, rejoice, oh young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Okay? Rejoice in the energy. Rejoice, rejoice in the zest. Rejoice in this, all the days that are to come, all the dreams that you have, all the things that are potential and possible. Rejoice in that. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Rejoice in what could be, but know that you're going to be judged for it. The temptation of the, of the aged and, and of, of those who are older is they can look back on their life and they can live in regret. 
And they can say, man, I should have done this or I should have done that. And Solomon's invitation is rejoice that God has given you life. For the young man, there's a temptation to say, oh, man, I can do so many different things. I'm going to figure all this out. The world is going to change. Us millennials think, like, we can change the world. And Solomon is saying, no. Realize that you will be judged for how you live. There's, there's rejoicing that can be in each of these, but it's limited and it's tainted and it's, it's, it's curbed by regret or fear or the sense of judgment. And this passage from 2 Corinthians 7 has convicted me as I've thought about this. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas godly grief produces death. Greg's version? Sometimes God convicts us and he tells us that we're going to be judged, and he, tells, and, he, and he allows us to feel regret, not to shame us, or not to condemn us, but that it would lead us into salvation. That it would lead us into repentance, church. It would lead us to say, we don't have it all figured out, and that God is faithful. That he is faithful, that Jesus has given us the conviction of his spirit to lead us to salvation without regret, not death. Repentance is a gift of God's grace, that Jesus didn't have any regrets. Jesus didn't have any fear of God's judgment because he lived perfectly. And yet he is a faithful and merciful high priest, as Hebrews says, who is able to sympathize with us in our weakness that he understands that we're not perfect in the life we've lived or the life we will live. That's why he gives us his spirit to produce repentance in us leading to salvation. I want us to take a moment as we um, celebrate and acknowledge the week of prayer that we have embraced this week. I'm so thankful, church. I'm so proud of you guys. Um, for uh, how many of you guys have stepped up and your families have stepped up to pray with us this week. It has been a joy and a blessing and something that I am grateful for. And so kudos to you. Thank you for joining us in that. And even those of you, I know there were plenty of people who were taking packets and they didn't even sign up. But I'm like, hey, be sure to sign up. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to take the packet and pray myself. Uh, that's all. Like, man, just the Lord's work in you guys has been has been beautiful. And, um, and I know that as, as we have sought the Lord this week and as we've held open hands before him that he is going to do beyond what we can see with that. I want to I emphasize this point of where, wherever you in, wherever you in, wherever you are in your life, um, that, that the Lord has an open invitation to you, that he wants to comfort you if you feel regret. He wants to convict you if you, if you feel a sense of like pride of like, you know, how am I going to live in, in, in this reality of judgment that, that we want to just um, acknowledge what the Lord has given 
and acknowledge where the Lord has us in our life. And so we're going to take a, do, do a little bit of an, of an exercise here. You have sticky notes on uh, the, the chairs around you. You have um, pens on the chairs around you. What I want us to do is I'm going to invite, um, I'm, I'm going to change the word, I'm going to request, okay? I'm not inviting, I'm requesting all of you to participate, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to participate in this. And what we're going to do is we're just going to take a moment and just ask the Lord, what do, you, what do you have for me in my life? Okay? It may be comfort. It may be conviction. And I want you to ask the question, what is God, how is the Lord comforting me? How is the Lord convicting me? What is God inviting you into in your life? Okay? And so we're, we're just going to take a moment, and, and on this sticky note, what we're going to do is we're going to, um, I want you to write something down, and then I'm going to ask you to come up and put it in these bowls. Okay, these bowls are a, a symbol and a picture of the, the bowls full of incense of the prayers of the saints in Revelation that are held up to God that, that he smells day and night. Okay, so th- these are pictures of our life pictures of our prayers, and, um, and we, we're just offering these to the Lord, okay? So we're, you're going to come up. It could be a smiley face that you write. It could be a scripture that comes to mind. It could be a picture of a house. I, I mean, there's a thousand things that, I, that you could do on that, but um, if you don't have anything to write, just write um, hello, okay? Just write that, um, and then we're going to come up and, and offer these to the Lord. So before we do that, before we come up, I just want to take a minute. What is the Lord inviting you into that you want to be open before the Lord with? What is the Lord inviting you into that you want to be open with the Lord with? Open with the Lord with. Okay. Answer that question, write it down, and then we'll come up. What is the Lord inviting you into? What are you wanting to be open with the Lord with? Could be finances, could be a relationship. Could be your parenting or children, could be a dating relationship. What is the Lord asking you to be open with him with? If you don't feel comfortable coming up, I'm not going to be mad, but I would ask that you would come and just put something. It could be happiness, man. I'm, I'm wanting the Lord. I'm wanting to be happy. 
could be a smiley face, whatever. Just um, go ahead and stand up. Join me in standing. And then come on forward and just, uh, we don't have to say anything, just come on and put those in these offering bowls. Thank you, Lord. Good job, guys. Thankful. In this week of prayer, we've been wanting to have hands of openness to the Lord, open to what he's going to do in us. Have a posture of yeah, openness. Lord, we're yours. We want to be your servants. Good job, guys. Thank you. Lord, thank you that you have given us life. Church, the, the Lord has given you a life to live. Whether you are aged or, or whether you are young, the Lord has given you a life to rejoice in. He has given you a life to be grateful for and to be thankful for, that every day the sun will rise and his mercies are new every morning. You don't have to live with regret. You don't have to live with fear. You can rejoice in today because he's given it to you. We can extravagantly rejoice, not just say, man, thank you, Lord, for today, but Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for all the things that you're doing today. I want to give you guys a picture for me of what it has looked like to extravagantly rejoice as we wrap up. Okay, so we've looked at this idea of extravagantly rejoicing in provision, giving us the things that we need, in work, that he's given us work. We don't have to be afraid. that We can rejoice in the work that he's given and rejoice extravagantly in what God has given in our life. Best picture that I have for this for you, as I open with a dirt bike that I'm like, man, my prideful like... Hey, thanks. That's awesome. When I was, uh, we were um, in Layton and uh, were with a family, part of our church at that time, and um, <clears throat> we were having dinner together, and um, the kids were running around, and, you know, it was a Friday night kind of situation, and uh, we, we had gotten pizza. I don't eat much pizza, um, but we had gotten pizza, and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, yeah, extravagantly rejoicing right there. Um, and so it was like, great. Um, <sighs> I think it was Papa John's. I took, a, I took this piece of pizza. I'm going to step down. I took this piece of pizza and I took a bite of it and I was like, oh, oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for pizza. Like, and it wasn't like premeditated. It wasn't like any, I mean, I literally like, the, 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 the people we were with, their name was George and Becky. And George always is like, Greg, I remember that time. You took the piece of pizza and you ate it and you were like, thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord. And it's just this example of like, dude, I'm like, oh yeah, thanks for a dirt bike. A piece of pizza is amazing, you know? 
there's, there's something to say that the uh, way to a man's heart is through his stomach. But, um, but the reality that it's like the little things, church, the little things. It doesn't have to be this great big gift of like, he's given me a million dollars. Thank you, Lord. He's given me enough money to buy bread for today. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. We could rejoice extravagantly in what God has given because he has given us life, not only in this life, but in the life to come for eternity through Jesus Christ, to whom with him, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory forever. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you that you have given us everything we need. And Lord, even if we are people today who are in need, you have promised, Jesus, that you will be faithful in this life and the life to come. That we, we want to declare, Lord, we want to have open hands that we trust you, Jesus. And as we trust you, Lord, we want to rejoice and be generous. We want to rejoice and work hard. We want to rejoice and not live life in fear or regret, but rejoice in what you have given. Jesus, thank you that you have given everything for me. That I don't have to be in need or in want, but as Psalm 23 says, that I get to uh, be provided for, that I get to be shepherded through the darkest of valleys and through the through the wild grass, that we rejoice, Jesus, in your provision of today. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've given. Thank you for what you are faithfully giving every day. We rejoice in you, Jesus. Amen.